Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. I wonder, do you believe in the Apostle Paul's strategy to save an ungodly society? Paul, faced with one of the most famously ungodly cities in the known world, and with the churches on Crete being ravaged by false teachers, what would you do? Verse 5, written to Paul's number 2, Titus, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Appoint men who the truth has changed to teach the truth in the churches on Crete. Well, I wonder, what do you make of his strategy? I might have uh, thought maybe about having an AD 30 vision for the Cretan churches or a social media strategy or a fundraising campaign so we had a nice building to meet in. Or maybe hiring some management consultants, lobby the government to bring about reform on Crete or hold a massive celebration event where we pray for revival. No. Step one, appoint transformed teachers. But when we think about it, this has to be the answer because of the crucial relationship that we saw in verses one to four that we had read and thought about last week. Knowledge of the truth, which leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life. Teach the truth. It will bring transformation in the church salvation in Crete, even transformation in an ungodly society. Want to fix any man-centered problem in this world, be it racism, sexism, violence, fraud, teach this transforming gospel. Do you believe in the Apostle Paul's strategy to save an ungodly society? Now, just in case you're thinking, here we go again. This one's not for me. Classic St. Helens, another talk on teaching the Bible. Well, please can I ask you to keep listening. 
This letter was written to Titus, maybe someone like William or Luke, with the task of appointing leaders. But the letter ends in 3 verse 15 with the assumption that all the Christians on Crete will listen. We all need to hear this message. We need to understand the role of Titus and the leaders that he appoints so we know how to get behind them today. We need to understand how important having transformed teachers is in God's salvation strategy. They teach us the truth that will produce godliness in us. So we live transformed lives which are shining adverts to our world of the gospel of Christ. That is God's strategy to save our ungodly city, our country, the world. Our godliness, our world salvation is in our Bible teacher's hands. Who teaches us really matters. If you are in any sort of position of Christian leadership, the principles in this passage will be important for us. If you're joining for the very first time tonight, I'm so glad you're here. I hope you'll see how seriously we take who our leaders are as a church. If you're choosing a church in London, well, what we see tonight, that will be critical in your decision making. If you're looking into the Christian faith, I hope you'll see our God cares greatly about who leads churches. If constant leadership failures frustrate you, Boris and other MPs, the police, the CBI, well, I hope you'll see that the church is different. We're going to split our time this evening between two equally crucial aspects of Paul's strategy. Firstly, the requirement of church leaders to have been transformed by the gospel themselves. And secondly, the task of these teachers teaching the Bible. Just before we dive in, we should note that the assumption in these verses is that the overall leadership of a church is to be done by men. It's a subject I realise some of us will have questions about, which we, we don't have time for this evening, but I've put a link on the handout to a really helpful talk by Luke on a similar passage on 1 Timothy chapter 2 on a recent RML weekend away where the Apostle Paul explains why that is the case. But please come grab me or one of the other staff members, Luke or maybe Jess or or Sarah, uh, afterwards if you'd like to ask more. Paul, our writer, is pro-women. Leadership roles for women in the life of the church are essential. Come back for Titus chapter 2 to hear more about that. So, as Paul instructs Titus to appoint church leaders, what should they be like? First point, they should be people who have been transformed by the truth. Transformed. A church needs leaders whose lives have been obviously changed by God's gospel of grace. Now, there are two key questions that underlie these verses. One Has he been changed by the gospel? Verse six says, appoint those who are above reproach or blameless. Not not perfect, but there needs to be no charge that can be brought against them. They need to be people who've 
obviously changed from being Cretans, liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons, as 1 verse 12 says, to Christians. And the second question, is he a proven leader of change? The answer to both questions must be yes to appoint him to a position of oversight or to be an elder, which are just two terms used interchangeably to speak of the leader or senior leaders of a church in this passage. Paul explains two areas of their life where this transformation must be seen. First, in their family life, and second, their life in the church and the wider world. Firstly, their families. Elders are to be husbands of one wife. They must be faithful to their wives. And whether they are married or not, they should be fighting the sin of sexual immorality. And as we look to his family, his children should be, verse 6, believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. If the elder has children, they should be believers or more literally faithful. Their lives should be transformed as well. Their actions are not to bring the gospel into disrepute. But why does it matter that this area of their lives is transformed? Well, verse 7 explains that the overseer is to be the steward of God's household, the church. He will be a household manager for God. So before appointing an overseer, look at how he leads his own household. If he's been faithful to his own wife, well, he can be trusted to care for the bride of Christ, the church if he's able to bring order in his own household and raise his children to know Jesus, well, he can be trusted to do this in God's household. I remember really clearly going for a walk with one of my church leaders at my last church and two of his children and just seeing how he lovingly disciplined his kids, reminding them of the, reminding them of the goodness of God's ways seeking to raise those kids to know Jesus. If he's not a family leader, is his life generally in order? Or has he shown leadership in another sphere of church life, for instance? Has he been changed? Is he a proven leader of change? Two ticks? Well, appoint those kind of men. The second sphere of life where transformation must be seen is his life in the church and the wider world. Please look back down with me at verses 7 and 8, page, uh, verse seven and eight, page 1200, if you have closed your Bibles, verse 7 and 8. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Remember our key questions. Has he been changed? Is his life above reproach, which is defined for us here in a list of five negatives and six positives? And can he be a leader of change? If he doesn't have these qualities or can't be seen to be growing in them, then don't appoint him yet. He will struggle in the job. He could harm the spread of the gospel. 
If you are in any sort of position of Christian leadership, please would you look at this list later and consider your life? Ask the Lord to help you make progress in these areas. I found this challenging to work through and consider where I need to make progress. So in verse 7, he's not to be arrogant or overbearing. He's, he's not to be someone who will manipulate or wrongly use power or be tempted to lord it over others. He's not to get angry or impatient quickly. He's not to be known for a lack of control with booze. He shouldn't seek change with his fists or be a bully. And in contrast to the Cretan false teachers described in verse 11, he's not to be greedy for gain, just in it for the paycheck and not for the people. Rather, he is to be hospitable. Now, that's not speaking about making a nice risotto for his dinner party guests. Rather, can he work with people, particularly strangers? Does he love good rather than himself, not prioritising himself like selfish unbelievers do? Is he self-controlled? This term appears throughout the letter. It's a key catchphrase of the transformation that the gospel brings in ungodly Crete. In an immoral and out-of-control society, his life should be disciplined rather than disordered. Upright and holy speak of controlling physical desires, godly restraint based on the knowledge of God's will, behaving in a way that is fair, just, honest. Has he been changed by the gospel? Yes. Well, he can be an example to the church. He won't bring shame on the gospel. Does he have the qualities needed to lead change? Yes will appoint those kind of men. Now, as we heard earlier, the St. Helens seaside trip is fast approaching. It's great there's still time to sign up. Four weeks left for us to get our beach bods ready for the summer. Now, obviously, I'm just kidding about that. But I'm, I'm sure that you've seen those adverts as you've gone down the escalators into Liverpool Street to, to get a ripped body and they have those pictures of before and then after their transformation under some fitness regime. But just imagine you turned up for one of their fitness classes and found that scrawny little Nick was your personal trainer. I mean, there's no muscle there, there's no six pack under here. Well, you'd leave, wouldn't you? You need someone to lead your transformation, who's been transformed themselves. Well, how much more so for those leading change in God's church? We hate hypocrisy, and so does our world. The church leader's life must match his message. The truth on the lips of an untransformed teacher risks people not listening to the truth or thinking that his sin is acceptable. People's salvation and our godliness is at stake. Now, there are two important observations as we look at these requirements that affect how we apply this. Firstly, these areas of transformation are all in areas of life that can be seen 
You can see his family life. You can observe his behavior. Is he living an obviously changed life to before he was a Christian or to the society around him? If you rang up his boss at work and asked about him, would he have a reputation as a good employee or would the boss be shocked? You're you're asking him to lead a church? You see, the, the outward lifestyle is the evidence of inward change. Knowledge of the truth leads to godliness, which is public and visible. We cannot know what is going on in people's hearts. Only God does. But the life lived in a consistently Christ-like way is evidence of inner change. So we should watch people's lives carefully over a prolonged period before asking them to step into leadership, not rushing them forward. And we don't need psychological exams or to see their Myers-Briggs score or leadership tests. Not, Not saying that those things are useless, but the key test Are they living a transformed life? It's much easier to lie when asked a question about your conduct than to fake it for years on end. When we ask our Bible study leaders to put forward uh, people who might be potential future leaders, we ask them to consider if the person is living a transformed life, like Titus 1 says. Now we've... We've sadly seen leadership failures recently in the UK and further afield in uh, different churches and Christian organizations. And I am so sorry if you have been a victim in any way. Please speak to someone you trust if you haven't got help yet. But Titus chapter one is God's safeguard against leadership failure only appoint someone if his life has been transformed by the gospel of grace. Now, this won't stop every failure of leadership. Sin is powerful. People deceive. But it is hard to do that for a long time in the whole of life. So this guards against paralysis, never choosing leaders for fear of them failing. But it also stops permissiveness Leaders must be transformed. Second observation as we look at this list. As you read it, do you think that this is a high bar or a low bar? Titus 1 is really just a description of a transformed Christian. It's not an exceptionally high bar. These are qualities all Christians should have or be aspiring towards. Do we prize these sorts of qualities? Or or do you think this person sounds a bit dull? No, this is a good, ordered, respectable, Christ-like life. Find men who've been obviously transformed by the truth. That is all you need. So do we believe that the salvation of London relies on the godliness of our leaders? Do we prize it? Will we commit to pray for the ongoing godliness of William, of Tim, of Luke? Do you pray for and support your RML leaders as they grow in godliness? Appoint men who have been transformed by the truth. 
And their task is to be teachers of the truth. Our second point, a point transformed, teachers, teachers. We see their task to be teachers of the truth in verse nine. Look back down with me. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. We see that their teaching has two aspects, instructing in sound sound or healthy doctrine and to rebuke those who contradict this healthy doctrine. Now, we get a bit nervous about rebuking. Isn't, isn't that a bit unkind? But it is essential to protect the truth and done carefully by a verse seven to eight kind of guy. That will be a good thing. It is the truth contained in the word of God, taught by these Bible teachers that brings transformation. Our godliness is in the hands of our Bible teachers. So surely that means we should look for the very best Bible teachers. Find the man with the first class degree in theology. Well, did you notice the qualification for those men to do the task at the start of verse nine? He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. Why is that what should be looked for rather than looking for the most gifted teacher? Well, continuing to teach the truth week in, week out, it requires determination. Rebuking opponents who will see, who will see next week are deceitful. Well, that's hard. Being the leader of change in a hostile culture that does not want to hear your message, well, that could be demoralizing. And when you struggle with sin yourself, you may be tempted to change the message that you preach. We're so used to our political leaders changing their minds, aren't we? Secure this week, flip-flopping on the two-child policy. But our Bible teachers have people's godliness and the salvation of the lost in their hands. It is far more serious if they flip-flop. So find a man who has been proven to hold firm to the trustworthy apostolic word, who knows the truth as seen in his transformed life, who cares about the word being held out without compromise. He doesn't need a PhD in theology or an MDiv in doctrine or to be the most charismatic speaker or to be the most gifted leader. No, has he been proven to hold to the word under pressure? Is he living a countercultural lifestyle? If he's been transformed himself, he'll be able to teach the truth that has changed him. Now, just think back for a minute to me being your personal trainer. Crazy as that is, I know. Well, Imagine that I was actually ripped, which might be even harder to believe, but just, just stick with me for a minute. If, if you knew that uh, I really had been in excellent shape for years, that I diligently dieted and that I always followed my workout routine, well, maybe you would trust me to train you. Well, in the same way, if you see a transformed man who's holding firm to the trustworthy word, you can trust him and his teaching. Now, 
We must be careful. I'm not saying an ability to teach is irrelevant. Similar passages like 1 Timothy chapter 3 list this as a necessary gift for overseers. And we should strive for excellence in our Bible teaching. But an ability to teach, that can grow. We should look to train as Bible teachers, those who hold to the trustworthy word as taught. Better a C minus but faithful teacher than an unproven boffin who will twist the message at the first sign of trouble. I found this a helpful corrective personally. As I think about training future Bible study leaders, I sometimes have overvalued teaching ability compared to this characteristic. So, step one of Paul's How to Save Crete manual, Titus, appoint transformed Bible teachers. The transformation of our Bible teachers is essential. Their teaching is essential. They must teach the Bible to produce godliness in the church. So the church is that shining advert to the world of the gospel. Well, as we draw to a close, let me suggest three areas of application, though you'll think of many more as we chat at Pizza Union or whichever restaurant you end up going to. Firstly, knowing the importance of Bible teachers in God's salvation strategy will mean we want to back our Bible teachers in prayer for their teaching and godliness encouraging them when the task is hard. Go on, William! Well, maybe not quite like that, but you get the idea. We need our Bible teachers to be growing in godliness and to keep teaching us the truth so that we are transformed, so we're a church that is that shining advert to the world of the gospel. There is no hope for our city if we get this wrong. Secondly, knowing that the people who teach us impacts our godliness will affect who we listen to. We have access to thousands of Christian teachers online. Do we consider whether the teachers that we're listening to are living transformed lives? We can see the transformed lives of our Bible teachers at church, but not those online. Now, I'm not saying don't trust anyone, and there will be loads of godly teachers online to benefit from. But it really matters that we know that the people we're listening to are transformed because our godliness is in their hands. Thirdly, and finally, if someone says that you are living a transformed Christian life, if they've seen that you hold firm to God's word, and they ask you to get involved in teaching the Bible. What's stopping you? We must pray urgently for the Lord to raise up more transformed Bible teachers. We need more. We've seen their importance in God's salvation strategy. You could be part of God's salvation strategy for London or another part of the UK or another part of the world. How to save London, our country, our world today. Step one, 
appoint transformed teachers to teach the truth. Our godliness is in the hands of our Bible teachers. The salvation of our nation relies on having transformed teachers. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would raise up many transformed Bible teachers to teach the truth in churches across London so that we'd grow in godliness and be adverts to our world for you. Please grow the godliness of all those who teach us the Bible. William, Luke, Tim, our RML leaders, and please encourage them in their teaching. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.